is data transforming business? Presented by Enterprise Management 360 and moderated by Donna Burbank. Hello and welcome to the Enterprise Management 360 podcast with me, Donna Burbank. This is a series where I aim to give practical guidelines on how to implement a successful data strategy. There's many ways to do this, which can often be very expensive to a company, but we're going to focus on practical, real-world solutions. So in a series of five installments, we'll be bringing some of the leading solution providers in data management, as well as some of the organizations who have been successful in their data strategies, to give insight on what has made them successful. And I'll be offering my own guidance as well. As the Managing Director of Global Data Strategy and Information Management Consultancy, we have experience helping some of the leading organizations across the globe growing their business through data. This is the first edition in the series, and we thought a good place to start would be talking about data governance and data quality. So to help tackle the subject, I'm joined by Ed Raisin, the VP of Product Management at Trillion Software, Stan Christensen, the CTO at Calibra, and Robin Warwick, the Vice President of Data Projects at Barclay. So I'd like to kick off by asking the first question, which is top of mind to a lot of people, which is the subject of big data. So big data is a major driver in data-driven business transformation with the growth of Internet of Things, social media analysis, et cetera. So does the emergence of big data and this concept of data lakes change the need for or the best practices around data quality? I'd like to start by asking Robin from Barclays Bank. What's your perspective on this? My personal perspective on this is that I I don't think it changes the need for data governance or quality. I think sometimes the danger with new technologies and and I guess with things like big data and the projects that run around those is that we get caught up in the hype about the new things and don't employ some of the disciplines for managing data that we've learned over the years. From my point of view, I think whether it's an operational system like an ERP application or some kind of big data store, the sort of principles that we need to employ and the causes of poor data quality are often the same. And they're normally technology agnostic as well, because it's it's not dependent on the technologies. It's all about the data that we're looking to consume and use to drive insight. Yeah, definitely. So much of data quality is really around the people and the process that goes much beyond the technology. I mean, Ed from Trillium, can I bring you into the conversation? What's your perspective on this? I think with the concept of data lakes, particularly built on technologies such as Hadoop, what we're seeing is that organizations are now able to store and process a variety of data types and scale to huge volumes, which they have never been able to do so before. Coupled with that, we're now seeing the access to a variety of self-service business intelligence tools, analytics tools. These tools have kind of opened up the avenues to access data in different ways and access different types of data. And really for the users of that data, the business analysts, the information workers, business users even. But they now want a variety of different data sources. And often this data could be stored and collected in that lake. Access to, for instance, social media, being able to merge that with their internal customer system so they can get an understanding of the customer's perhaps social media discussions and forums with the organization, connecting to web logs, understanding sort of web traffic, shopping basket traffic, external data sources, being able to pull in demographic data, lifestyle data, and merge that with internal customer data. So I think that this kind of convergence between self-service analytics and also big data has kind of opened up this requirement, this floodgate to access a variety of data in different ways for different use cases. 
And this is making sort of data quality much more challenging. We now, as data quality practitioners, have to deal with complex types of data, with multiple sort of volumes of data, different sort of formats and structures, and data coming from both internal and external sources, such as social media. This, I think, could be a struggle, and particularly a lot of this data is probably very suspect. A lot of it is noise. A lot of it is probably in very poor condition, particularly coming in from unverified sources. Social media data may certainly sort of be uh, very suspect and not perhaps even sort of be particularly sort of clear as to who the individual is. So the danger is that if this data is left ungoverned, users who have access to this data could run amok and start performing various analysis, creating reports, making decisions on data which is is really sort of suspect. When we're collecting data into this lake, it needs to be catalogued, it needs to be validated, it needs to be described in business terms, not technical terms. And I think this is where sort of technologies are really sort of advancing in data quality, technologies such as data profiling, data preparation tools which enable far more intuitive analysis and can use automation, even make recommendations on which is the best data source. Really, I think these tools have to be put into the hands of the business analysts, the business users, the consumers of that data, particularly the individuals who are perhaps running spreadsheet reports before, now need to validate and verify and attest to the veracity of that data. And these tools will really sort of help them to be able to do that. And I think as part of that, the ongoing communication of data quality, what's in that data lake, what is the best source, how accurate is it, you know, what are the business terms, business values, all of that needs to be sort of communicated throughout the organisation as well. Otherwise, I think we're in danger of the sort of the Wild West and the dangers of opening up data to a variety of users if it's not validated and qualified. So, you know, Stan, I know your company does a lot around the process and people around data governance. What's your perspective on this? Is it technology? Is it, is it people? Is it both? We've got a number of customers out there who are currently in that cycle. Uh, Robin, as you said, there's new technology that comes along and we want to apply this. Some of that is indeed the same, right? Your people are trying to centralize data to provide centralized location, if you will, all the data in one place. And, and it is true that there's many of the things that stay the same, right? You need to know your owners of the data, you need to agree on certain things, etc., etc. So there's a lot of the principles that stay the same. I think there's also new things that people have to start working on because in the end, the underlying technology is different, right? So the underlying technology for a data lake is different from, say, a data warehouse or an MDM system. So with the introduction and the rollout of the technology also come new principles and new methodologies that you have to think about. Even if, for example, it's just about the size and volume of it all, there's a lot more data sets that pour into it. So how do you keep that manageable? How do you get cross-links between these divergent data sets? You know, they're in the same place now, but can you cross-fertilize them as well? Technology helps, but it will also introduce a need for additional principles and methodologies that a lot of people are currently, as they are doing this, right? Let's not forget that for a lot of people, this is new technology. The big data vendors are all relatively new in this market. So there's a lot of people that are hitting those new challenges and coming up with new best practices around it. Focus, for example, around how do I keep control? How do I have an overview of everything that's in there so that people can find it, for example? 
I want to follow up with both you and Robin on this. Given that both of you seem to mention that there are definitely new technologies and technology is a big component of big data, yet a lot of it does come back to the people in the process. Do you think the accountability of data is then a responsibility of IT or is it more on the business side with business stakeholders? Robin, let me, let me give you a chance to answer to that first. So from my point of view, there isn't a break in accountability between business and IT stakeholders in data. I think both sides have a responsibility and accountability towards how we manage data. I think it's about being clear about what roles and responsibilities are, where they sit between the business and IT stakeholders to make sure that business people understand the fact that they need to define what their requirements are for data, that they define what the rules are that should be governing its use to make sure that when data gets put into a system, it goes in right first time. I think on the IT side, it's then about understanding those requirements and translating those things into how we develop applications so that we can make sure that we uphold the quality of the data within the applications that are supporting the business, but also to make sure that as we start to move data through the landscape and take data from operational systems into reports and so on, that we're making sure that we're not transforming the data and can support decision-making with data that's trusted. I think there are accountabilities and responsibilities on both sides. It's just that point of making sure that we're clear about where those responsibilities lie and make sure that people understand what those responsibilities are and that we build those into how we operate and, and do things. So Stan, would you agree with that? Do you think the accountability is on both sides, both the business and IT? I would even violently agree with it. It's the classic thing about who is owner or accountable for the content and who is owner or accountable for the box. What we're seeing, ownership for the contents, the data itself, inevitably lies with the business. You know, they generate this data through their applications or through their work or you know, because they're buying the data or what have you. So inevitably there must be an accountability and an ownership on their end. Whereas if you look at the box, especially in the whole big data landscape, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of new technology out there. And quite honestly, most of this new technology is often almost all new data management stack, right? A new pipeline of how you deal with data, if you will. And I've seen that the ownership around that box is inevitably tied to a technology function, to an IT function. I definitely agree with Robin there about the partnership and the clear split up of the responsibility, who's responsible in very simple terms for the content and who's responsible for the box. But then, you know, if you break it down from that simple picture, you break the responsibilities or the, the collaboration processes down between them. Like Robert said, right, who's, who's working on the requirements? What does the data mean? What does quality mean? All of these things break down again in, in terms of who has to do it. And so as soon as you break it down into the specific way of working that you have in, in your organization, you have to have those clear responsibilities established between business and IT. But definitely it needs to be in a partnership. I think the term you used was collaboration earlier, and, and I, I like that. I think a lot of it is not necessarily the processes for IT or business, but as importantly how those two groups work together. So sounds like you both have some agreement there. 
One thing we're talking about in this podcast is the idea of business innovation and business change and transformation. And key to that is quick pace and moving at the speed of business. So when we're talking about data quality, how do you manage data quality at that speed of business? So you're really doing data quality at real time. I'm going to pass this question over to the two technologists on the call, the software vendors. So let me start with you, Ed, from Trillium Software. What's your concept on this idea of managing data quality at the speed of business in real time. Is that possible or is that a naive hope? It's certainly sort of possible, but I think it still largely depends on whether it's necessary or not. It depends on the business process. Certain business processes, such as credit or fraud checks, may require data quality check at speed of data entry. As that data enters the system, it needs to be immediately validated, checked, and then processed against a fraud or credit check system. Uh, Conversely, a sales reporting system may still only require data quality checks daily or weekly as part of that sales reporting process. But I think we're seeing certainly a need for more real-time data quality processing, particularly with the advent of the Internet of Things, more device-generated data with software-as-a-service, point-of-sale systems, web-based applications. So these are generating much more data, which often has to be validated very quickly, and, and particularly where devices are generating data, and that data could point to any failures or breakages or out-of-service conditions. It's important to validate that that data is correct, because it could be critical to a particular sort of device or a particular system working efficiently. But we've also seen a shift of data entry from business, so employees entering data, to now consumers entering data directly through web commerce systems, through mobile sort of applications, mobile systems. And people often misenter data. They get it wrong, they mistype, they sometimes use different synonyms and aliases. So so it's important to have those checks in place as data enters the system. And this generally goes back to the need for data governance. Those data standards have to be in place to determine what data is acceptable. It has to be at a point of entry of that data. So You have to embed the rules and the data quality processes into the business ecosystems, into the applications that capture that data. We're seeing the need for data quality in those sort of point of sale, those applications, those types of systems. What we're also saying is the amount of data that's rapidly expanding as well, the volume of data. So the technologies that process data quality standards and and business rules have to be able to adapt to work at the volume and scalability required for the amount of data that's being entered. And often that could be in a sort of a continuous process as well, 24 by 7. And certainly that is achievable. And those are the sort of things that increasingly we see much more demand for these days. So Stan at Calibra, are you seeing the same thing? Or what are your thoughts on this idea of managing data quality in real time? It is true that life always seems to go faster and faster and and then business is trying to follow right business is, is is going at a faster pace at the same time there's still a lot of stuff that just doesn't go any faster than than it used to go before if if that's okay i'd like to use two examples right you could use the example that ed was giving earlier you know trying to capture things that happen at the point of data entry right people entering this information you're still looking at the same situation. You know, it's not the only thing that's changed there is that perhaps the volume of people that enter information is is a lot higher. In those kinds of situations, 
It's more about the speed of how the way you deal with things rather than the speed at which you deal with them. Obviously, things can go very wrong in, in that situation. How do you correct the data in that case? Or how do you deal with the fallout of that? It's already too late, right? You can't fix that. So what, what you do in that situation, in my view, is you change the control artifacts. You still want to get trust in data and the way that data is being handled in the outcomes. And the control artifact becomes around the policy, for example, or the hypothesis or the models that drive these machines, right? That drive the robots that make these decisions for you. In this example, where everything is very high speed, you just have to build that trust in the system and have the control artifacts focus on a different point. And through this control artifact, like managing the model or the hypothesis and making sure that everything's set up correctly at that end, that's how you manage the, the quality in that higher speed environment. So both of you touched on this concept of the volume of data that's increasing so dramatically in recent years. And I think, Stan, you mentioned this idea of a faucet. <laughs> and I think some folks might feel that as overwhelming, that this deluge of data keeps coming. And the idea of trying to get data that is good enough or, or fit for purpose, how do you know when data is good enough? And, and what sort of metrics or, or procedures can you use to have some best practices around resolving data quality issues? So so Stan, let me let you follow up with your previous comments. And what are your thoughts on how you define when data is good enough? I can only answer that at first with the genetic one, right? It's always fit for purpose. So you have to look at what purpose it is for. If you're doing reporting to regulation, it has to be all controlled and checked and double-checked and triple-checked, etc. If you're using it for machine learning, uh, maybe the quality is, is less important because it's more about volume uh, and seeing patterns in, in the volume than it is about the actual quality. So it's more about statistics. And if your quality is, is low, you're still going to be okay, you know, until you hit a certain threshold, of course, and it all becomes noise. I would say a lot of times in the forest and the trees, look at it like you look at other forests, right? Like environments like YouTube or what have you. There's a lot of data out there as well in, in the form of, of videos, and people let the community decide, let the viewer decide if it's fit for their purpose, right? In this case, do I want to watch it? Same thing with data, right? So as long as you can provide an efficient way to help people understand which data sets are out there, what's available, right, and how it can be used and found, etc., a lot of times they'll judge themselves fit for purpose decisions that are, that are being made in, in that way just as well. If you just make sure that the people can access it, right, and then they can make their own judgment calls, whether it's, it's good enough for their needs or they have to look at something else. Great. And Ed, what are, you, what are your thoughts on defining best practices around defining when data is good enough? Or, or do you agree with this idea of fit for purpose? I agree with the idea of fit for purpose, but fit for purpose means different things to different people. And I think this is where the challenge begins because data often enters the system or enters the business through one originating source but it's used in many parts downstream it could be used for management information reporting could be used for compliance could be used for marketing so different departments use that data which originates from one particular system and they all have different views of quality so for instance a transaction enters the system and individual purchases some goods and those goods have to be shipped it's important for the shipping department to have an accurate address in order to ship the goods 
fact, however, marketing may not really sort of care about the address. And in fact, they do very little sort of post-marketing these days, direct marketing. They may be more concerned with an accurate email address being collected or an accurate telephone number at point of entry. And this is the challenge, is that you have multiple different stakeholders involved in the data. So having sort of clear lines of accountability and ownership of that data and agree what is fit for purpose, because the consumers of that data may rely heavily then on the originators, the people who are entering the data or collecting that data for the business, to ensure that it meets their purpose downstream. It meets marketing purposes, for instance, rather than shipping's purpose. So you have all this, these different sort of interested parties involved in the process, and they all have a different requirement and a different need for, for fit for purpose. And then, of course, you have other systems, other data sets that uh, the data has to be joined with, and those require different standards and different formats. And this makes it sort of challenge to, to have any one sort of fit for purpose. I think organisations do need to have multiple different views. There is no one real single view of a, of a customer. There are different views required for different purposes. But certainly there has to be some agreement and core attributes or the core things that define that individual, that product, that business, that transaction, they all have to be agreed upon and collected with a verifiable sort of validated sort of process. So organisations really need to have the standards. They have to have the rules in place that cover quality, completeness, consistency. There's got to be some tangible measures for fit for purpose or good enough. These can't be just, just nebulous terms. There has to be some tangible definition. And those definitions have to comply with certain conditions, metrics. Organisations need to define what their metrics are for data standards. And what does 80% data quality mean? And how do you define what 80% means? Because that has a bearing on, on the business purpose, business process. If you want to achieve a certain degree of data quality, then it's because it meets requirement for the business process. What's the impact if you underachieve that? Can you measure the cost? Can you measure the benefits if you overachieve? So this has to kind of really relate to tangible terms as well. The cost, improvement in revenue, improvement in compliance, improvement in business processing, business efficiency. There's not much good having just sort of nebulous terms. These have to be very well-defined terms which are tangible and relate to the specific business purpose. And to do that, it really means gathering those stakeholders together to define those. And that, of course, requires a data governance discipline and a data governance process in place to be able to get these different stakeholders to agree on standards that serve the wider community rather than any one individual. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to jump in on this one right away, Ed, because you touched one of my pet peeve subjects almost, you know, the, the sharing of data. You said it correctly, right? There's people who produce the data, and then there's people who consume the data. So, And I like the fact that you use the word terms as well, right? It points to legal terms, the, what lawyers are very good at, you know, agreeing on the terms, right? Agreeing on the contract and, and sharing data between organizations is also uh, or should be subject to certain contracts or at least agreements. So you produce the data for your business purpose, right? In your line of business and your department, but then you're sharing it with other organizations, right? You're sharing it with the same data set produced by that data producer in the line of business could be used in two different contexts, right? One hand is finance, the other hand is some analytics department. So 
effectively you get two uses, you get two purposes, uh, you get two data sharing agreements. And in agreeing, the consumer of the data, I've seen various cases, right? But ideally what you want to have is you want to have the consumer and the producer uh, of the data agree on what an acceptable quality level is fit for that purpose that this one consumer as opposed to the other one is needing, right? So you get a sort of SLA. And it becomes an SLA because it's an agreement that was made. So the producer of the data is also agreeing to, yes, I can actually deliver it with that 80 or 50 or whatever percentage or whatever numbers you assign to it. I can actually produce it against that SLA. It is in my interest to produce it against that SLA. So we get that contract and the, these contracts, these what I refer to as the data sharing agreements, these actually capture your purpose, right? They capture your consumer, they capture the goal the consumer has and which, which quality level or which SLA they expect against that. So definitely you can have various fits for purpose on the same uh, data set. Pour avoir un site bien conçu et bien référencé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, Yono s'occupe de tout. Ce qui est sûr, c'est qu'avec Yonos, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel, comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer À bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute. You're listening to the Data Transforming Business Series, here on EM360 Tech Radio. I would assume that Barclays Bank data quality is top of mind. So do you have some good real-world best practices that you've used or have thoughts about on data quality and this idea of fit for purpose? Yeah, absolutely, Donna. So I guess I'd agree with a lot of the points that both Stan and Ed have been making. I mean, the question of you know whether data is fit for purpose is, is very much down to the people who are actually using that data to do their job to be able to define you know, what acceptable levels of levels of quality are. In terms of what fit for purpose looks like and setting levels of data quality, I think there's a balance of cost versus value that you get out of having something 100% correct. And in some cases, that might be appropriate. In other cases, that may not be appropriate. So I think in setting the targets and, and goals for levels of data quality, it's a question of making sure you understand what fit for purpose looks like why you want to get to a certain level in terms of the benefit and value that it brings to the organization, either in terms of the processes that you're trying to run, the decisions that you're trying to make, how you're using that to kind of grow the organization and to drive value for them. In terms of some of the best practices on resolving data quality issues, I think much as I was saying earlier about the, the questions around big data, I think there's a lot of good and fairly common practices that can be employed in, in looking at data quality issues. So, If you haven't got a clear set of rules in the first place that defines what good data quality looks like, it's very difficult to understand whether something is good or not good. If you understand if something's good or not good, I think it then becomes about understanding the causes of why it's good or not good. So looking into the root cause of what's creating those issues and that can spread across you know, people aspects. So people not understanding what the rules are they should be adhering to. Um, so there might be some training that's required to start to educate people in what the standards are, what their roles and responsibilities are, what they're meant to do when they're capturing data within applications. I think that comes back to, to Stan's point about these sharing agreements where 
you've got data that's being passed from one area to another area, you need to be clear about what it is that data is being collected for, what it's being used for, and making sure that the data is actually fit for those purposes. And I think then it becomes about looking at addressing the the root causes of that um, data quality issue. So rather than letting the issues perpetuate and just point fixing every time something goes wrong, I think it becomes about understanding the root cause and then starting to look at where that issue is originating from and and driving the, the remediation of that issue in that source, be that training people, fixing systems, making clearer standards, rules, so that then you start to improve data quality and, and you don't get those issues reoccurring. Yeah, this has been an interesting discussion and it sounds like there's a lot of agreement that this is an ever-changing world and with things like big data and so many different eyes on the data, it really is about fit for purpose. You know, Is it social media and sentiment analysis or is it core customer data in the warehouse? And it sounds like all of you agree that there needs to be some analysis there. But in some cases, I guess we don't have a choice when it comes down to things like regulations, where there may be a regulator defining what fit for purpose is. I'd like to get your perspectives on whether you see regulations as a major driver in your organization. And I'll pass that right back to you, Robin. What are you seeing in the banking industry in terms of regulations driving data quality issues? What we've seen within the financial services sector over the past couple of years is a, is a major shift in, I suppose, the regulator's focus on data and what data quality means. So with things like the financial crisis, you know, that, that was all born out of understanding of risk and desire for for better management of risk, because if the banks don't understand their risk position, it's very difficult for the regulators to understand the market risk position. And, and so the kind of the issue proliferates up the, the hierarchy. So what we're seeing is much greater focus from the regulators on making sure that appropriate controls are in place to manage data, govern data, manage data quality, all those sorts of things. It's interesting in the sense that it's also created an increasing focus within our types of organisation. But I think there's a balance that has to be struck here because when something's seen as simply a compliance requirement, I think you often miss out on the opportunity and value that that can create for the organisation. So while a lot of what the regulations are calling for is you know, making sure that we're clear on who owns data, you know, where and how it's used, how it's defined, you know, what its lineage is. So if we're producing reports, where's it coming from, what's its levels of quality, all, all these kind of standard governance requirements that we have. Actually, if as an organisation we understand those things, we have better quality data, there's huge value for the organisation itself because you can then start to have more faith in the decisions that you're making specifically in the banking sector, if we have a better understanding of some aspects of what we do, we have to hold less capital. And that means that we can look at reinvesting that capital in how we grow the business. So for me, I think regulation is a a big driver. But I think for me, it's, it's a case of the business case that you build and the vision that you drive for is one of the contribution and value to the organization rather than it being a compliance tick box. I think if it's just treated as a compliance tick box, I think, you know, some of those greater opportunities will be missed. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, I think a lot of companies might start data quality because they were forced to with the compliance and then they they see the value of it because it really does drive some business success, as you mentioned. Um, Ed, what are your thoughts on that? Are you seeing similar trends from your customers? Very much so. Um, would, would very much agree with Robin. I mean, particularly in the financial sector, regulations for customer data, anti-money laundering, regulatory risk reporting, 
these sort of initiatives have really sort of driven IT sort of resource consumption, particularly amongst sort of financial organisations. They've had to really sort of apply their sort of IT and data teams to meeting the requirements of these regulations. And, and in the past, change that we've seen is some of the regulations were not really sort of defining data quality. They were talking about, I think, appropriate processes or best measures or appropriate sort of practices in place or good practices in place. Whereas in some of the more recent regulations for financial reporting, we've seen very precise requirements for data quality, right down to some specific standards being defined within the actual compliance initiatives themselves. It's really sort of meant organisations have had to kind of rally round their resources and their teams in order to meet these regulatory requirements. There's, there's often been a very sort of clear stick that if you don't meet the requirements by certain dates, there could be quite severe penalties applied. So it's pushed up, I think, the importance and the value of data amongst the C-level audience, who are much now more aware of the importance of data and good data quality. As a result, we now have the role of the CDO, the Chief Data Officer, surfacing in many organisations, particularly in the financial sector. And they're charged really with organisation-wide responsibility for data strategy, data governance and data quality. And in some ways, that's been a really good sort of kickstart for data quality and for data quality practitioners, because, as I said, it's really sort of pushed up this awareness of the importance of data, getting your data right, not just for regulatory initiatives for compliance, but also being able to use that data much more effectively, being able to sort of harness much more value from it, being able to improve business processes, being able to sort of get better insights into consumer behaviour, into product sales, into sales effectiveness. I think it's really kind of helped raise the importance and the value of data and the derived information from it. And in some ways, I've seen that with some of the perhaps more mature organisations who really sort of value their data, that they've used regulation as an initiative to really sort of build a strong data strategy for the future from which they can get a lot more benefits than just meeting the requirements of that immediate regulatory compliance, but really sort of derive much more value for the use of their data. So that idea of value of data has come up a lot in this conversation, whether it's you know getting better marketing campaigns from your data or better regulatory compliance. I'm sure a lot of the people on this podcast are wondering, and I'll just ask it as the final question leaving, you know, does data quality and data governance affect the bottom line of the business? I guess that's the key question that people are wondering. So I'm going to pass that over to you, Stan, to start. What are your thoughts on data affecting the bottom line? It's clear that... There's a lot of cases where it's not just the bottom line that's been affected, right? But it's actually everything that was overtaken. Because there's companies out there that take over a whole new business or an existing piece of business by just coming in with data. They came at it from another angle. And the old ways of doing it, the old video rental taxi companies, what have you, they were just overtaken. It's not even about the bottom line in those cases. It's about everything, right? It's about the business being taken. If you look at the bottom line itself, you're looking at efficiency. How can you reduce costs in your operations? Well, there's simple examples. You know, you, you send out marketing stuff and it actually reaches people. You don't have to send it twice or it doesn't bounce or what have you. 
or you know who to call, right? And you don't have to start looking for the phone number anymore and so on and so forth. So improving data or improving the way that data is being dealt with provides gains at that level. And obviously it provides, depending on the way you deal with it or deal with the analysis of the data or the problems that exist with data. Again, coming back to the point that Ed made earlier, right, tying into the business process, if you level up the efficiencies to actually look at, well, maybe the way one department latches on to the other department, maybe we got a little bit of a gap there or an overlap in, in the business process. And you actually uh, tap into the business process, you can increase those efficiency gains, right? And you can reduce costs, etc., to up your bottom line, definitely. And I like that distinction you made, and I, I'm definitely seeing a similar trend that it's not only about making your business more efficient, but so many companies are basically creating whole new business models based on data. I think that's what's really exciting in the business now. Ed, what, what are your thoughts on that? Agree, disagree? Yes, I'd agree again. As I sort of mentioned earlier, if you can measure fit for purpose, if you can measure that in tangible terms and tie that to a business process, then you can measure the real impact. You should be able to measure the cost of that business process, not meeting its requirements, not failing. You should be able to measure the benefits and measure that in tangible terms, cost, revenue, or in other ways. For instance, you may find that you get a poor marketing response from a campaign due to incorrect or misdirected campaigns. It could be because 20 to 30% of the contacts on the database cannot be contacted. Their information is invalid, it's out of date, it's just plain wrong. And as a result, campaign fails, sales forecasts aren't met, and there's no return on investment. Well, that ties specifically to data quality problem, if that's measured. And that could be tied to specific campaign effectiveness and to the results expected from that campaign, not meeting the business requirements. It's interesting because a database can change by up to 25% per annum. People move house, they get married, they divorce, they pass away, unfortunately, they change their email preferences, they opt in, they opt out, they use multiple different addresses, different purposes. All this information has to be maintained, updated and synchronised across an organisation boundary, tying back to that fit for purpose across different sort of stakeholder groups. So we need to ensure we get the right data to the right people in the right format. And another example is parts, for instance. When you have one company that they identified that they had £50 million in unused inventory due to poor data quality, they were stocking parts, the same parts with different inventory numbers, and they weren't aware of it. So they were purchasing more and more parts from suppliers, not realising that they already had those parts in their warehouses. And not only did it cost them much more in terms of holding that inventory and not being able to use it, but they were also missing opportunities for volume discounts from purchasing just from one supplier. They were using two different suppliers and having two different part coding systems. So we see this, that there is a cost impact, there is a revenue impact, there is a compliance impact. And these are real sort of bottom line measures. And also there's the impact of loss of productivity. As part of the governance services we provide, we help organisations identify what we call uh, hidden factories. In other words, a lot of work that goes on, remediation work, to sort out data problems which have often been discovered too late. It could be that failed shipment and having to retrieve the item, the product, having to correct the address, having to inform the customer why it's late and that it will be with them soon. It'll be 
shipping that product back to that customer, making sure that customer receives that product. All of that is really sort of a wasted productive uh, productivity effort. Or a call centre where agents can't contact individuals and spend a lot of time trying to sort of scurry to find the, the right phone number, the right contact details. Again, unproductive tasks which take up a considerable amount of sort of time and effort. A cost to the business, and that cost is very much a hidden cost, but it becomes an ongoing cost, and it's just the cost of doing business, but that cost is really there due to sort of poor data quality. So this is something that really we're seeing more and more of, is this hidden cost of data quality. I think there's the tangible, the cost that can be measured, the revenue that could be lost, the compliance initiative that's not met, but also this hidden cost, this wastage, this unproductive effort that goes into remediation, which goes on in many, many organisations, and it just becomes a cost to the business. I think that's something that organisations increasingly need to look into as well, just to determine where are these hidden factories and what is the impact to their business of having to manage all these different unproductive processes. Those are some definitely some great examples. Robin, coming from the financial services industry, I'm going to give you the final word on this question. So what are your thoughts on whether data quality and data governance affect the bottom line? I'd agree with, with I think, everything that both Stan and, and Ed have said. I think it does have and can have a very positive impact on the bottom line. I think, for me, the focus of a good data governance initiative is actually being able to create that relationship between what you're doing to improve the management and quality of data and the effect it has on the business. Because I think without that, it's a struggle to get the increase and incremental investment that's required to keep improving and, and keep making things better. The challenge in this space, and, and uh, Ed, you, you gave some good examples of use cases where there's kind of real tangible things that have been identified that impact an organisation because they're holding more inventory or, or so on. I think for me, it's, it's really about identifying some of those real painful issues through using data management, data quality practices to unearth those things, you know, starting to then look at what the causes of those things are. You know, it comes back to the relationship between the IT and the business because often it is some of the folks in the IT organisation that may do some of the analysis of issues because they run the technologies and so on and so forth. But in order to get to an understanding of the impact that it has on the organisation, I think it very much is in a collaboration with the people in the business who are actually operating things on a day-to-day basis to help build that understanding of actually what that impact is and start to turn that into some tangible terms. So that's absolutely a key outcome for me of a good data governance, data quality program. In terms of specific examples that I see, you know, one of the, the areas is where companies are looking to move away from paper-based marketing to digital marketing. So you know, if, if you don't have good information about people's email addresses, you know, their social media accounts, that kind of stuff, you, you obviously can't start to make that transition. And in making that transition, there's huge cost savings because you're not reliant on postal networks and you know, printing letters and, and all this sort of stuff. So there's real opportunities in terms of supporting some of the business transformation through looking at how having good quality data can help them to move from one mode of operating to another. One interesting thing that I don't think has been highlighted so far is I think there's also, as well as the bottom line and, and compliance question, I think there's also a reputational impact as well. So while you know, chief marketing officers may say, as long as I've got an address, it's fine. You know, People do tend to get frustrated by 
junk mail and lots of things hitting them and, and I think that starts to impact on the, the reputation of a business if they kind of just scattergun marketing rather than more targeting marketing in the, the sort of modern world that we live in. If you start to look at things like your sourcing processes and, and these sorts of areas, if if you've not good, good data quality in your sourcing processes and, and you end up not paying suppliers on time, for example, well, that might be good for the company that's not necessarily making the payment on time because the money's still sat in their bank account. Clearly, it has an impact on the other organisation on the opposite end, and that can have issues around reputational damage, and reputations can be quite difficult to build and very easy to destroy. We have so much opportunity on the idea of digital transformation, but that really just puts a spotlight on your data quality. You can do a lot more damage by using someone's incorrect name, right? <laughs> You've done all that effort, but the data quality underlying it is, is wrong. So I think that's a great point to end on because I think that touches on both the opportunity and some of the risk. But unfortunately, we're out of time. So I want to thank you all for joining. Again, that's Robin Warwick, the Vice President of Data Projects from Barclays, Stan Christensen, the co-founder and CTO of Calibra, and Ed Rays and the VP of Product Management for Big Data at Trillium Software. And thank you all for joining this Enterprise Management 360 podcast. How is data transforming business? This podcast was presented by Enterprise Management 360 and moderated by Donna Burbank. Head to em360tech.com for more. Pour avoir un site bien conçu et bien référencé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, Yonos s'occupe de tout. Ce qui est sûr, c'est qu'avec Yonos, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel, comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer À bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute 